That clap is actually for Linda and the team who organised Alpha. It was an amazing uh, effort that they put in over those uh, eight or nine weeks. And uh, Kyle, Helen, brilliant to hear your stories. And Helen, we have this in common, that Clark is in my heart too and will always be as well. So I think that's true for all of us here. Um, I suppose today Alpha is coming to an end. And so it feels like maybe the end of a season for those of you in, in this church who've been part of that over the past um, season. But I'm not sure whether you're aware, today is also the beginning of a season. Um, today is the first day of the Christian calendar. So maybe for you, you thought it was January the 1st, that was when the year started. Or even for those of you who think academically, teachers and pupils and students, you think the year starts on the 1st of September. But actually, um, today, the first Sunday of December, is the start of a Christ- the Christian calendar as well as we think about the season of Advent. And so we're going to be enter a, a season, this season as a church, and we're going to be thinking over the next few weeks about what Advent means, what it looks like. And I suppose the word that I have for today that we're going to be thinking about is waiting. How do you cope with Waiting. It's awkward, isn't it? How do you cope with waiting? Uh, How do you cope as you eagerly await the arrival of that new product? How How patient are you when you're expectantly anticipating that exciting event or that gig that you're going to? Lydia and Jamie, well, they were at a, they were at a gig on Friday night and it was cancelled. So they're still eagerly awaiting that gig. But I wonder, how are you with queues, with slow Wi-Fi, with busy traffic and being placed on hold again? How do you cope with waiting. You see, we're part of an instant society, a society that demands immediate action and instant response. If I send an email or a message, I want an instant reply. We order food that is fast, send messages that are instant and demand deliveries the next day. We'll even pay extra for that. Our culture doesn't do waiting all that well. And actually, most people's complaints are less about quality and much more about speed. I've ordered it and it hasn't arrived whenever I thought it might. If I'm honest, I'm not a brilliant waiter. Patience for me is not the uh, best fruit of the spirit that I exhibit or um, display in my life. And so Advent for me gives me an opportunity. Advent is a time to remember how people were once waiting the arrival of a God, that they were desperate to arrive, to come, to experience, to meet, and to see. It's a time, Advent is a time to remind us about how we too wait for the fulfillment of God's promises in our lives. Some of those promises we can experience now, but actually some of them we too are waiting for. It's a time of hopeful expectation for God's people, but it's also a time for painful anticipation. So as we enter this season of Advent, we have an opportunity to remind ourselves of a story that may be familiar to you, but also should never be forgotten. I wonder for you if the Christmas story has become just a little bit familiar. You know, maybe it's become, it's like a quaint thing in our culture and we hear things and we know things, we take them for granted. Our ears have become numb because we've heard the story again and again, maybe at carol services or school concerts or, you know, through things that are mentioned, um, stories that are read. You know, there's an angel appearance and there's a dreams of Joseph and there's a road to Bethlehem and there's a full inn. 
and there's a birth in a stable, and there's appearance of a shepherd, and it's kind of quaint, isn't it? It's nice. It's a nice story that we'll remind ourselves about again, but really not pay that much attention to as we bustle around decorated shops trying to check every name off our list to buy for. Perhaps for you, the nativity story has become like a distant car alarm. You hear it and you're aware of it, but you're just thinking that someone else will respond to it and you don't need to. I love a line in a famous Christmas carol that says this, let every heart prepare him room. Let every heart prepare him room. And for me, I think that's what Advent is about. Our lives are full. Our lives and schedules and diaries are busy. Our heads are spinning. And at times we need to let our hearts prepare for Christmas and prepare for the arrival of God and the presence of God in our lives. So today we're not going to jump too far ahead to the Christmas story. We'll get there in this church over the next few weeks. But for now we want to enter the period and look at the period of waiting. And we want to look at a passage in Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah was a prophet. He spoke and wrote down the words that he believed God was putting in his heart. And this um, passage in Isaiah 2, he's capturing a vision that he saw. And this is it. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be, will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will walk Sorry, he will teach us his, path, his ways so that we may walk in his paths. Love that line. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many people. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. I wonder if you're like me and you ever look back and with fondness at what you would describe as the glory days. I don't know what the glory days are for you. Perhaps for you it's your, your time as a student enjoying freedom and very little responsibility or maybe that brilliant holiday that you had or, or time building significant friendships or amazing job you once had or the days of being a carefree child or maybe being child-free. I don't know, as a Spurs fan, I have no glory days to look back, back on, and today's reminded me of that. But the people listening to the words of Isaiah had heard about the glory days. They had heard these, these accounts in their past of ancestors who would have told them, or sorry, older people who would have told them about their ancestors. They had heard accounts of glory days. Glory days like Moses, this great ancestor, who had met God up a mountain. And they had been told the story of God speaking to a little boy called Samuel. And they'd been captivated by stories of burning bushes and and prophetic dreams and angels appearing. And they had heard about times when God spoke through his prophets. They were glory days and they were told about them and they'd heard about them. God had provided manna in the desert. He dried up the seas and he tumbled down walls. It was amazing, the stories. But the problem for the people of God was that it was in their past and not their present. The past stories of God didn't match their present situation. 
And I don't know if that's true for you. Maybe as you listen to some people talk about how they've, you know, learned and discovered more about the church or about the Christian faith on Alpha. Or maybe as people, you know, stand up here and talk about how they are encountering God in their lives or noticing God in their lives, perhaps for you, maybe you listen to the story and you think that's okay for them, but it's not my present reality. Or actually, maybe for you, it's that was for me in the past. It was a past experience for me, but it's not my present situation. You see, the people that Isaiah was writing to were subject to the rule and reign of other nations. Their religious rights were being trampled on and they were being punished against their will. Their situation and their circumstances didn't match the glory days that they'd once heard of. And as a result, Isaiah, or sorry, Israel felt frustration and anger towards their present rulers. They had racial hatred of Gentiles And that was increasing, and they were primed and ready for a revolution. That was the circumstance that Isaiah spoke these words into. And it was a reminder to these people that God is still among you. That God is still for you. That God still has a plan for you and in you. God is still working. And he promised, and Isaiah was pointing to a day where there was a hope of a future that was better than their present reality. You know, we too, as we follow Jesus, and if we follow Jesus and when we follow Jesus in our lives, at times, and Helen was thinking about it last week in terms of the valleys, at times our present realities don't always match this. Our experiences don't always match this. But the words of Isaiah today And the hopes and the promises of God are things that we can rely on today to remind us. But what happens next after this story is that following the prophecies of Isaiah and others, God didn't speak to his people for another 400 years. Not since the days of Isaiah until the birth of Jesus. It lasts a period of 400 years. God had once spoken, but the people were, here's that word again, waiting. And in that time, they didn't meet God. They hadn't known God. They didn't see God. They hadn't heard from God. There was not one prophet. There was not one dream. There was not one dramatic occurrence. There was not one alpha course and not even a worship song. And the people didn't hear from God. How would you have dealt with the waiting? How would you have dealt with it? For some people, they forgot about God had ignored him and did their own thing. But for some people, they continued, the faithful in Israel continued to live in hope. They prayed, they studied the scriptures, they celebrated the festivals, they remained faithful to the Torah, and they would wait in hope. How would you have dealt with the waiting? Advent, Isaiah 2, gives us um, lots of opportunities. If you can flick, Ross, to... um, No, this is okay, actually. Leave that. Um... How would you have dealt with the waiting? For, for me, uh, this passage, uh, we're going to think about two phrases today. The first of all, first phrase is that it provides us, that God provides us hope for the future. 
in our present realities, we don't always experience the, the mountaintop experience or the, the glorious um, presence of God in our lives. We don't always experience that. That's not always what we feel like. But here we can be reminded that there is hope for the future. And so Isaiah speaks this prophecy and the people in terrible situations. And these words would have given God's people hope. Hope for now, but also hope for the future. And he tells them this. He tells them that in the last days, so he's looking forward. He tells them that the mountain of God will be established as the highest of the mountains. So the people listening to this, think back to the glory days. The people listening to this would have, would have heard glimpses about God meeting people up a mountain. And so they would have been thinking, their ears would have pricked up and they would have thought, goodness, God is going to come and meet with us again on a mountain. They would have been reminded of Moses' encounter in God on Mount Sinai. And now Isaiah was pointing to the mountains again, and he was declaring that God was going to establish his presence once again. Only this time, he wasn't coming with tablets of stone, but he was coming to be a living and active presence. The good news of Isaiah too is that God was not done with his people, and he hadn't finished speaking. What's really interesting, if we fast forward to the time of people kind of waiting for God to come, is that God's people thought that they knew exactly how God would appear. They thought that they had it sussed and they had it sorted. And they believed they they were waiting for a, a particular person to come and lead a political revolution to lead them out of the culture and the society that they were in, to take them away from the political oppression that they thought. And so God's people, try to stay with me here, God's people were waiting for Jesus, but whenever he arrived, they weren't expecting him the way he came. And I wonder for us if the same can be true for us. If we kind of wait for Jesus, but we aren't that expectant for him to show up in our lives. You know, we're thinking about Advent today. We're thinking about waiting. Are we waiting for Jesus? And as we wait, are we expectant for him? You know, maybe for you, you look for dramatic signs of God in your life, and yet you miss the ordinary moments of things that he does in your life. Maybe we can ask for his direction. God, give us your guidance. But we ignore his promptings that come to us through his word and through other people in our lives. Maybe we pray that, God, would you speak to me? And yet we keep our Bibles closed that contain his words for us. We plead for him to use us and to make a difference in the world. Yet maybe we neglect and miss ordinary daily opportunities. I want to remind us today, in fact, encourage you today to not just wait for Jesus, but to be actively expecting him in your life, to be looking for daily opportunities and reminders of him. Jesus then was the only way that people would get to encounter God. They thought, the Israelite people thought that he would come in a certain way, in a certain form, But Jesus was the only way that those people would get to encounter God. And that was true then. And obviously it's still true for us today. Jesus is the only way we get to encounter God. The only way. It's through him. And that is what we celebrate at Christmas. It's that God was making a way for his people. As they waited for him, he came to them. 
as we wait for God, we need to be reminded that he comes to us. It's not that we do things to manufacture his presence or to make ourselves look good in his sight. The story of the gospel is not that we can reach up to God, but that he came down to us. And so waiting doesn't mean, you know, trying to work ourselves into some sort of format that God will be pleased with us. It's realizing that God wants to accept us as we are and allowing him to come to us. Verse 3, and Isaiah, I love it. It's a promise again, but it's also a hopeful promise for the future. And it says, all nations will stream to it. Ross, I've lost this, so if you want to flick on to to that verse, that'll be brilliant. All nations, keep going, ignoring that. There we go. Um, All nations will stream to it. You see, the all nations, and this this was the interesting bit for the hearers in the story. Most of it would have sounded like good news. Oh, there's, God's going to meet with his people again on the mountain and, and uh, all this stuff's going to happen and God's going to come. Brilliant. But actually the people, we probably hear this and think this sounds great. But actually the people who first heard it, this would not have been good news for them. You see, they believed they were the chosen people. That actually God was exclusive to them and only them. He was theirs and that was it. But the story, the, sorry, the message of this passage was that it wasn't just going to be a good news story for them. It was going to be a good news story for all. And this is good news for us today because it means we get included. If God wasn't for everyone and just for the Israelites who listened to this story, it means that we wouldn't get included either. The invitation involves all of us. This is good news for all. And we need to not lose sight of the future hope that awaits us as children of God. You see, like the ancient Israelites who were waiting on God to come to them, we too are waiting in anticipation of an event that we can only dimly imagine. An event where all that is right And good and truthful will come to fruition in his perfect timing. And all nations is important for us to remember too because it's not just for me. It's not just for us who are here. It's not just for my brand of church. And it's not just for our stream of the kingdom of God. The future kingdom involves all tribes and every tongue and all nations and all races. This world is not my home. This city is not our destination. This nation is not our kingdom. We don't put our hope in nations. We don't put our hope in flags or cities or emblems or kingdoms or or whatever else we belong to in this world. We wait for a kingdom that is beyond and bigger than all of those small, tiny little kingdoms. But we wait in hope and we wait in hope for the future. And as we struggle with our circumstances here on earth at times, we don't just get through them, as Helen reminded us last week, by thinking positively, but we walk in them fully trusting that those circumstances will one day pass. My present reality is not my future hope or experience. The future that awaits us as followers of Jesus is both glorious and it's reliable. And how do we know it's reliable? Because the things that God said in the past that sounded crazy still came true. And the people that waited in hope saw the fruition of the things that they had been promised. 
And as we wait and hope, the hard bit is that God lives outside time. He lives outside time. Uh, we were sitting at dinner a few weeks ago, and uh, dinner was ready. And Noah, just as we were about, Noah is our five-year-old boy, and just as we were about to tuck into dinner, he announced that he needed to go to the bathroom. And uh, that was fine, so he went, and we said, as quickly as you can, and a minute or two passed, and there was no sign of him, and we were telling him to kind of hurry up because he needed to come and eat his dinner, and that was fine, and we shouted on him a few times and told him to hurry up, and we were getting restless. We were getting frustrated with him, and so I went to the bathroom to see what was happening, and I walked into the bathroom, and he's sitting in the toilet, and he's whistling to himself, or singing to himself, sorry. He's singing to himself, and I, 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 I laugh because as we were restlessly and, and frustratedly waiting on his arrival and shouting at him from a distance, he didn't have a care in the world. He wasn't bound by the time that we were bound by. He wasn't governed by it. He's not governed by it in the same way. He doesn't know when he's late. Um, He doesn't think that way. He's just carefree in that moment. And actually, I kind of wanted a little bit of what he had in that moment, not (laughs) sitting in the toilet, but just uh, whistling and singing carefree and not governed by time. And I was reminded as I prepared for this of that story and that example, and I'm realizing that God lives outside my demands of time. He lives outside. And so as I or we at times wait, God is above and beyond our time. He's not limited by our, by our time. And a very famous missionary to the Jews who's called Cory Ten Boom, who Noah heard about actually in an assembly, school assembly recently and is named Molly Ten Bin, uh, which is another interesting fact. But uh, Cory Ten Boom, who he learned about, it took us a long time to work out who on earth he was talking about. Um, but she once said that you don't get off a train whenever it's in a tunnel. Whenever a train's going through a tunnel, you don't get off that train, but you trust the driver to bring you to the end of that tunnel. You trust the driver. You sit tight and you wait. And so too for us as the people of God, we may want particular circumstances to pass sooner, but we can still trust God within them. And a constant thread of the Old Testament, of the prophecies of Isaiah, A constant thread is the people of God who chose to live outside the promises of God rather than waiting on him. I think refusing to wait on God at times in our lives can can lead us to sacrifice. It maybe causes us to sacrifice long-term contentment for short-term fulfillment. And it can lead us to damaging consequences in our lives. It's important to wait on God and the things that he says and anticipate his working in our lives. To wait on God is to entrust. It's about trust. It's entrusting all our lives to him, both our present and our future. To wait on God is more of a daily choice than a one-off decision. How are you waiting on God? And as you wait, there is hope for the future. Hope for the future because the things that we read here and the promises of God give us hope as we wait. So hope for the future. And secondly, Ross, just flick on, teaching for the present. No, no, no. Don't don't, don't show us Morgan Freeman yet. Um, Hopefully there's a line that says teaching for the present. Isaiah declares, he says this, he, he, he tells us that God will teach us all of his ways and we will walk in his paths. I love this. Um, He will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. And Isaiah is emphasizing both our need for teaching But he also emphasized that we need to respond to the teaching that we hear. 
This quote that I heard about waiting this week, or read about waiting this week, says this, second only to suffering, waiting may be the greatest teacher and trainer in godliness, maturity, and genuine spirituality most of us ever encounter. I wonder if you've ever thought of that, that actually as we wait, that God wants to teach us things as we wait. You probably don't think that as you're sitting in a traffic queue, as you're late for an appointment and you're thinking, I wonder what I could learn in this moment. That's probably not what we think. But actually, as we wait on the things that God is fulfilling and unveiling in our lives, but also in a future hope of eternity as well, God is wanting to teach us things as we wait. How is he teaching us? How, how, do we, how are we taught as we wait? I think as we wait... We are taught about relying on God's timing rather than ourselves. I think as we wait, we are reminded of his faithfulness above our fickleness. As we wait, we are shown that God's promises are reliable and come to pass. As we wait, we are taught about endurance and commitment. As we wait, we are reminded that his ways are higher than our ways. As we wait, we have our character shaped and our minds molded. So here's the question, not just how do you wait, but what is God doing in you or wanting to do in you as you wait? As you wait, we are taught. In the movie, Evan Almighty, hence the Morgan Freeman photo, uh, Morgan Freeman plays God, of course he does, naturally, uh, and he says this, he, there's a scene, brilliant scene where he's speaking to Evan's wife, no idea her name, but he's speaking to her and he says this, a brilliant quote, he says this, let me ask you something. If someone prays for patience, do you think God gives them patience or does he give them the opportunity to be patient? If he prayed for courage, does God give him courage or does he give him opportunities to be courageous? If someone prayed for their family to be closer, do you think God zaps them with warm, fuzzy feelings Or does he give them opportunities to love each other? As we walk with God and as we wait for him in different areas of our lives, he gives us opportunity to grow in our understanding or in our attitudes or in our character and most of all in our Christ-likeness. He is teaching us his ways, but the second half of that verse was that we would walk in his paths. So as God is teaching us his ways Sunday by Sunday, day by day, are we choosing to walk in his paths? He has paved the way. Are we walking in his path? There's no point in learning if it's not lived out. There's no point in learning if it's not lived out. And so Isaiah includes a few verses later an invitation, an invitation in verse 5 to walk in the light. If we choose to walk on God's path, then it means choosing not to walk on other paths that are competing paths. Because walking in God's path, to walk in the light, always requires a choice. And yes, it's a choice to accept certain restrictions that might be on our life, but actually it's always a life-giving choice. Of course, there are trivial moments of waiting that we've all laughed at today, like queues and traffic and all sorts of things. But I don't want to downplay what waiting looks like for some of us, most of us here today. Because while there's waiting that's trivial, and the trivial things we probably just need to just be more patient in and get over, it's really not that urgent or important. There are much more significant waiting for us. 
maybe the waiting of a childless couple for a child, the waiting of a single person for marriage, the waiting of the chronically ill for health or death, the waiting of the emotionally scarred for peace, the waiting of students to find a career, the waiting of those contending for change to see breakthrough, the waiting of the lonely to find belonging. And I have no easy answers for pretty much all of those. But I think and I believe that waiting can be our greatest teacher. In fact, that's not right. I believe God can be our greatest teacher in our waiting. What Joseph learned in the prison and in the pit, he later used and put into practice in the palace. So what is God teaching you as you wait in your pit, prison? I don't know. What's he waiting? Sorry, what's he teaching you in your waiting that you can later use in the rest of your life? In the waiting, God works on our hearts. So as you wait, this Advent, as you even wait for the story to be fulfilled, as we wait for the coming of Jesus, maybe in our lives now in the present, but also in the future reality, are we allowing him to work and shape our hearts in the waiting, he works in our hearts, but in the waiting as well, he, we can learn to worship. He teaches us his ways. We walk in his path. So he teaches, we worship. In the waiting, God teaches. In the waiting, we worship. Is that your choice? I think waiting is really saying to God, I can trust you. I can trust you, even though my present circumstances aren't how I might choose or aren't how they might be. Like the people of Israel, it's saying, I wish things were different in the present reality, but God, I trust you, and I trust you're coming. I love the words of a song called Sovereign Over Us, and it says this. It says, you're working in our waiting, sanctifying us. When beyond our understanding, you're teaching us to trust. Your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. Faithful forever, perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. And I don't know what you're waiting for today. But I believe that he is with you in your waiting. And I know that his plans are still to prosper. And he has not forgotten us or you. As I finish today, there's my two points. Uh, Hope for the future, teach him for the present. But as I finish today, I just want to draw your attention to one last thing in the passage of Isaiah. If you have it open, you might be able to scan it and see it, as I say. Um, If not, I hope you can take my word for it or you can read it later. But I wonder if you notice the paradoxes that are contained in it as Isaiah spoke about the future Messiah. See, there's loads of things that he says about this future Messiah, and it sounds almost like they're different things, but yet Jesus perfectly fulfilled them both. So he spoke, let me give you a few examples from the passage. He spoke about God's presence being on a mountain, but also being in a temple. He spoke about God teaching to, but also walking with his people. He spoke about how there will be one coming who will both judge us and settle our disputes. And he was described as one who would represent both the word of God and the law of God. And for me, the paradoxes that Isaiah captures here give a glimpse of the paradox of the incarnation that God revealed to us. The paradox of the Christmas story. I wonder, do you see it? The God who spoke once through his prophets 
but now was speaking through his son. A perfect mix of a, a man that would be fully human, but also fully God and divine. One who was described as a lion, yet would also be described as a lamb. The sinless one who would be the friend of sinners. The uncreated one who was born. The timeless one who stepped into time. The ageless one who became the world's youngest human being. The God of angel armies who became the weakest human. The all-powerful one who still had to learn to walk and talk and feed himself. A king who was born among disreputable farmers, a few horoscope readers, a pregnant virgin, paradox, and a bewildered bloke. And the backdrop was a dirty feeding trough within a smelly shed. Locals and foreigners, they rushed to the manger. Fishermen and freedom fighters followed close. Sinners and saints sat at his feet. He was called a king, yet he never sat on a throne. He, was, he spoke of a kingdom, yet he didn't own any land. He was followed in the street, yet he stooped to wash feet. It's a glorious paradox. Time swivels on him. People still swear by him. And history points to him. All, but all are welcomed and all are invited. And tonight we too can worship this king. We too can worship him. And so yes, we hope for him in the future. But yes, we want to say, what have you got to teach us in the present? I think that's Advent for us. And so as we move into this Advent season as a church, we say, God, we are waiting for you. We are waiting for what you'll do in our lives now and in the future, but also we're saying and we're asking you, God, what would you have to teach us? What would you have to teach us as a church, but what would you have to teach us as individual followers of Jesus in the rest of our lives? The truth of the Bible is that the only way to find excitement and hope in our waiting is to embrace Jesus. At Christmas, let's not just celebrate the past birth of some baby. And do everything else that's associated with Christmas. But let's anticipate the future coming of a saviour.